Amen. Amen. Teens, you are dismissed to your Bible study tonight. Good group of teens again tonight. Yeah. Look at that. There's a big teen over there with a maroon shirt on, too. Look at that guy. Daniel chapter 9 tonight. Talk about someone who loved being in the presence of God. It was certainly Daniel. And if, if you carry nothing else away from the entire uh, passage we're going to look at tonight, even just carrying away the fact that, that Daniel was a man who was sensitive to his spiritual condition and the spiritual condition of the people of God, that he saturated his mind in the Word of God, and that he surrendered his life to the will of God. That was Daniel. So let's go into Daniel chapter 9, a very special passage. And we're going we're gonna to hopefully get through everything up until the, the great 70 weeks prophecy that comes at the very end of Daniel 9. We're going to deal with that next week. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 1, In the first year of Darius' son of Ahasuerus, who was of Median descent, and who had been appointed king over the Babylonian empire, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, came to understand from the sacred books that according to the word of the Lord disclosed to the prophet Jeremiah, the years for fulfilling the desolation of Jerusalem were 70 in number. So, get the scene here. Daniel is saturating his mind in the Word of God. And he's reading the prophet Jeremiah. And notice, he calls Jeremiah, that book, the Word of God. He he believed that the prophet Jeremiah was God's Word. And as he was reading and studying diligently, because that's what the phrase in the Hebrew means, came to understand, was because he was diligently studying for himself the Word of God, which we encourage every Christian to do, that certainly it's, you know, great to get messages on Sundays and Tuesdays and whatever, but we need to learn to feed ourselves as well. That as Daniel was diligently studying the prophet Jeremiah, he realized that the captivity that God had had, uh, brought about as a consequence of Israel's sin was getting ready to come to an end. That these 70 years were almost over which is one of the reasons why Daniel sets, when he began to understand this, in the historical context of what king was reigning in the first year and all that, because he wants to remind us that's the last king in the Babylonian Empire. Pretty soon the Medes and the Persians are going to take over, and so that 70-year captivity is about ready to come to a close. Notice also that Daniel interprets the Bible, Bible literally. It's a literal 70 years. He doesn't look at 70 years and then go, well, there's some kind of symbolism there and some kind of... No, he takes it literally. It's a 70-year period and, and it's getting ready to come to a close. And Daniel certainly has some concerns on his heart because he understands the true spiritual condition of the people of God at this point. And we're going to get to that in just a moment. I think the the thing for me, obviously, was Daniel was saturating his mind with God's Word. And it was out of his time in God's Word that actually motivated him and inspired him to pray. 
And then we're going to see that his prayer life inspired him to study the Bible. And really, that's the way God designed it. That, in a sense, these two things feed off of each other. That's why in the book of Acts chapter 2, when, when the Bible talks about what were the things that were the priorities for the early church, two of the priorities were they, they dove into the apostles' doctrine and they prayed. And, and our prayer life feeds and fuels our Bible reading and Bible study, and our Bible reading and Bible study then should fuel our prayer life. Because we're going to discover things in the Word that drive us to prayer. And then as we pray, God's going to reveal things to us to drive us back to the Bible. And so they work in harmony with each other. And we see that happening here in the life of David. And I encourage you, let it happen in your life. Let your prayer life fuel your Bible reading and Bible study and let your Bible reading and Bible study fuel your prayer life. The other thing I wanted to point out here in verse 2 is notice Daniel describes the years for the fulfilling of the desolation of Jerusalem. Now, this phrase, first of all, speaks about the purpose behind why God sent the people of God into captivity. It was for purification. They they had abandoned God. And God warned them for hundreds of years, if you do not start listening to me, here's going to be the consequence. I'm going to scatter you and send you to other nations. And hopefully that experience is going to purify you and, and bring you back to me. God always intends for His discipline or correction or whatever the consequences of our sin to drive us back to Him. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but the reason why Daniel was so burdened, because as he saw the spiritual condition of the nation of Israel, he did not see a people who were broken yet. Even after 70 years of captivity, not much had changed. And so Daniel's burdened because the very sins that led them into captivity in the first place are pretty much still there. Their spiritual condition hasn't changed even though they've went through the discipline of God. And it's really bothering Daniel. And he's going to begin to pray about that in just a moment. The other thing I want to zero in on is this word desolation. The word literally means in the Hebrew ruin or even more specifically dryness. In other words, it's sort of a play on words. The reason why they were in ruin right now as a nation is because of their spiritual dryness, if you will. And yet their dryness was leading to more dryness. And and it was obviously God's intent and purpose that at some point these people would become so parched spiritually that it would drive them back to the God of living water and that they would would be able to to, uh, gain thirst. And their thirst, in a sense, for, for that would drive them to God who would quench their thirst, if you will. And that's what God will allow in our lives. Sometimes we go through periods of spiritual dryness in our life. And, and, and that is to, to get us to a point where we realize, I don't want to stay dry like this. I want to, please, I, I, I know that, I want to go to an oasis. Okay, I know, that's a stretch. But. And, and we ultimately know that it's not a church that's the oasis anyway. It is God who is the oasis, if you will, in our lives. And that's what's happening here with the nation of Israel. Now, I, wanna, I want you to keep your finger there in Daniel because I want to go back to the prophet Jeremiah for just a moment. So go, go you know, to the left of Daniel, go back through Ezekiel, 
And then uh, you'll come after uh, Ezekiel to that very small book of Lamentations that Jeremiah also wrote. And then go all the way back to Jeremiah chapter 2. Here in Jeremiah chapter 2, we read what happened to the people of God in their tragic condition and what brought this all about and what really is continuing in their lives. And it's a, it's a good reminder for us as well. Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. God says through the prophet Jeremiah, Has a nation ever changed its gods, even though they are not really gods at all? But my people have exchanged me, their glorious God, for a God that cannot help them at all. Wow. How sad. Now again, to to practically apply this to our lives, think about even as Christians sometimes. We have in our life this glorious God, and yet there's times in our life where we exchange staying connected to this glorious God who can meet all of our need, and somehow we buy into the fact that there's someone else, there's something else out there in my life that can fulfill me more than God can then we become no different than the nation of Israel. Verse 12, God says, Be amazed at this, O heavens. Be shocked and utterly dumbfounded, says the Lord. Do so because my people have committed a double wrong. The first wrong is they have rejected me, the fountain of life-giving water. Remember, desolation, dryness. So the reason they were dry was because they rejected the only real water of fulfillment and satisfaction that they could ever get. And then, the second wrong, they have attempted to dig cisterns for themselves. Cracked cisterns which cannot hold water. In other words, they've tried to then uh, surround themselves with things that will fulfill and satisfy, but obviously that always comes to a dead end. Again, that happens today. When we stop finding our fulfillment and refreshment and nourishment in God alone and reject Him, we're going to be, start to become spiritually dry. That's going to be our spiritual condition. Now, obviously, there's different levels of dryness. And then the second thing we begin to do is somehow, after we walk away from allowing God to be our sole nourishment, then we, then we start buying into the fact that we can somehow get that fulfillment and fill that void in our lives with other things. And we start filling our lives with these broken cisterns that can't hold anything. And then we keep groping around throughout our life to try to find that something or someone that will fill that void. And God keeps saying, I'm over here. I'm the one that can bring you that fulfillment and satisfaction, why are you rejecting your glorious God and in a sense trying to invent other things that will satisfy when you're going to find out they really can't? This was the condition of the people of God. This is what brought them into captivity in the first place. And Daniel was burdened that nothing has really changed. So back to Daniel chapter 9. Let's move on or we'll never get through this passage. So I, verse 3, turned my attention to the Lord God. That's a phrase that simply said he was going to start praying. And, and I love the word turned. It means focused. 
focused. When you and I pray, we need to be focused. And I know that's hard because I think many times our prayer life becomes a spiritual battle. It's hard to stay focused for longer than just a few minutes. There's all kinds of things running through our head to distract us from focusing even for a few minutes on God Himself. But that's exactly what Daniel was asking God to do, to discipline him, to focus his attention to the supreme ruler of the universe, which is what the Lord God really means. And notice, to implore him, to pursue him, to seek him by prayer and request. Notice also, with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. These are all ways in which an Old Testament Jew especially showed his state of mourning and humiliation before God. Now, I believe that the Bible teaches us that, and obviously it has to come from us, we don't want to get legalistic about this, that it's good for us every once in a while as New Testament Christians to, along with our prayer time, fast every once in a while. That's biblical. But what's also important is the heart attitude that, da- that Daniel brought when he was so broken oh, over the nation of God and, and, and what was going on that it, it, it drove him to, to mourn over his nation and to be humbled. One of the things I want to challenge us is does the state of our own nation, does it bother us enough as a Christian that we spend time mourning and grieving over the United States and the spiritual condition? I mean, really. You know, we, we many times criticize and we complain about the state of our nation spiritually. But the Bible also encourages us as Christians to pray for our leaders. And to mourn and humble ourselves before God and seek His face as a nation. Are we doing that as Christians? This is what Daniel was doing for his nation, the Jewish nation. It was a challenge to me. And then verse 4, I prayed to the Lord my God confessing in this way. I love this word confessing, it means to throw down. See, confession is more than just saying with my lips, yeah, God, I blew it or I sinned. Really, the heart of confession is also forsaking. That's why many times in the New Testament, you'll see them linked together, confessing and forsaking my sin. Because it does no good to keep saying I'm sorry for my sin if I'm not willing to repent and turn from my sin and forsake it and throw it down. And obviously, you and I can't throw down our sins when our own power. The only way we can throw down our sins is in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. But God gives us the power to be able to overcome sin. In fact, Paul said to the Romans, how shall we who are dead to sin live any longer in it? Too many Christians are satisfied to live in their sin because they'll just lie to themselves and say, well, this is just who I am. This is just the way it is. This is just the way it's always going to be. And we buy into the lie of the devil. 
the teaching of the Bible is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And either we believe that Christ's power is greater than any other power in the world, or we don't. And if Christ truly is a supreme ruler of this universe, then if I tap into Him and His power, there is nothing, no sin, nothing that is greater than Him. So this is where Daniel's going with all of this. So here's his prayer. Oh Lord, by the way, there's a fervency there. Again, I was challenged. When was the last time in my prayer life I was really fervent about my prayers? Or was it more just I went to God and I prayed and I asked Him for things and I talked to Him? But, but when was I like Daniel that I was so gripped, I, I was so concerned about something that I was driven to God in prayer and I poured out my heart to God with a fervency? That's Daniel. And that should be us every once in a while too. Oh Lord, great and awesome God who is faithful to His covenant with those who love Him and keep His commandments. Now, real quick, I don't want to spend too much time here. Let's remember there's two kinds of covenants in the Bible. There's unilateral covenants where God says, I'm going to do this whether you're faithful or not. This is what I'm going to do. But there's bilateral covenants. And this is what Daniel's talking about here. This covenant between him and Israel at this point that he's talking about is a bilateral covenant. It was a covenant that God said, if you do this, then I will do this. In other words, good. If you obey me, God said, I will bless you. And this is what I will do. And all. But he says, if you disobey, if you forsake me, if you walk away, if you reject me, then here. These are the consequences. Okay? Bilateral. And Daniel's simply saying, God, you, you were faithful. You weren't the one that walked away from us. We walked away from you. And so notice Daniel says, we have sinned, verse 5. Literally, we have gone our own way. We have done what is wrong and wicked. And we are paying a high price. Because we have rebelled by turning away from your commandments and standards. Literally, the word turning away means to distance ourselves or avoid your commandments or standards. Now notice also, this godly man Daniel, who's been faithful to God for 80 plus years at this point in his life, is including himself in the condition of the nation. He's not standing back saying, God, aren't you glad I'm so spiritual and godly and these poor people, they need your prayers. So I'm coming to you, God, and I'm going to pray for them because I've got my act together and these poor people need your prayer. No. Daniel said, we have sinned because he included himself in the people of God. And he said, we're in this for good and bad and, and we are in this together whether we like it or not. Oh, if we had that kind of spiritual maturity in the church today. That people would feel called to a local assembly of believers and say, we are in this together, come thick or thin, come good or bad, but we are in this together. And when things are bad, it's all of us together that need to figure this out. And we're all in, in this together. Or when things are good, we're, we're all in this together as well, instead of pointing fingers and this and that. No, that's... that's it's learning to be part of a community, good or bad, and saying, we're going to be in this together, and we're going to see this through. 
And if we've done wrong, we need to handle it as Daniel did and said, we have sinned, we have done what is wrong and wicked. Notice he goes on, verse 6, we've not paid attention. Literally, listened with great interest to your servants, the prophets, who spoke by your authority to our kings, our leaders, our ancestors, and to all the inhabitants of the land as well. And then he goes on to say, you are righteous, God. In other words, just and vindicated, O Lord, but we are humiliated this day, covered in shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far away, in all the countries in which you have scattered them. And notice here's why. Because they have behaved unfaithfully toward you. By the way, the words behaved unfaithfully literally mean betrayal and treachery. That's the way God views unfaithfulness to Him. Verse 8. O Lord, we have been humiliated. We're paying a high price. Our kings, our leaders, and our ancestors because we have sinned against You. Yet, verse 9, the Lord our God is compassionate, literally full of mercy and forgiving or willing to pardon, even though we have rebelled against Him. Again, we have not obeyed the Lord. Same Hebrew words, listened with great interest. The word obeyed in verse 10 is the same as the Hebrew word that's translated in my Bible, paid attention to your servants, verse 6. It's the idea of not listening with great interest. And by living or not living, verse 10, according to your laws, literally your directions that you have set before us through his servants, the prophets. I love this word set too. It's a word that means a gift that has been entrusted. In other words, God is saying my principles, my commands, my laws, my directions, they're actually good for you. And they are given to you, and and, and I entrust them to you, and they're for your own good. If you will just listen to what I'm telling you to do, it will be good for you. But man continues to go his own way. And so Daniel says, all Israel, verse 11, has broken, literally passed by or ignored your law. And turned away or rejected By not obeying you. Therefore notice. You have poured out on us. The judgment solemnly threatened. In the law of Moses. The servant of God. For we have sinned against you. How many times has Daniel said. We have sinned against you. Here's a man who knows. He is sensitive to the spiritual condition. Of God's people. And he includes himself in there. And says we're in this together. Because let's not forget that as godly as Daniel was, was he not suffering for the sin of the nation? Remember, he was a young boy when he was shipped off to Babylon. So he understands that he was, even even if he was righteous before God, as much as a human being can be, he still got caught up in the consequences of the nation abandoning their God. And says, if we're going to get back, we've got to get back to God as a nation, not just one or two of us. We've got to do this as a nation. By the way, I wanted to point out, the phrase poured out in verse 11 is a very interesting word. In the Hebrew, it means to melt. (laughs) And I think if you study that out, what, what Daniel is saying and what God is saying is, I turn up the heat in your lives... Because remember, other places in the Bible, it talks about God's people being clay. 
He turns up the furnace, the heat in our lives, to try to make the clay more moldable. Again, that's always God's intent. His intent is never to discourage, to destroy, all that. His intent is, if we are drying up, to, to run back to the fountain of living water. If we are, if, if the, our life is heating up, it's hopefully so we'll be more pliable in the master's hand. Because he's the potter and we're the clay. And God was hoping that through this Babylonian captivity, the people of God, in a sense, would melt or be broken before him so that they could be more moldable and teachable. But notice verse 12. He has carried out his threats against us. By the way, when God says something, he carries it out. And I'm just going to use this. In a, he's not like a parent who threatens the child with discipline and never follows through with it. Because eventually, if a parent threatens a child with discipline and never follows through with it, guess what? The child, <laughs> they're never going to do that. See, God is really one of the best examples, if not, well, he is. He's the greatest example even for parents of how to parent your child. You and I don't set consequences over our children and then not follow through with them. God doesn't do that with us. He doesn't say, now, I'm, I'm going to do this if you don't obey, and then we don't obey. Go, well, I, I want to do it. No. Daniel clearly said, he carried out the threats against us. He said, if you continue to do this, this is going to be the consequences. And they're not going to be easy consequences either. They're going to cause some pain. Again, the pain was always to bring us to repentance. It's true in our lives as well. So he carried out his threats against us and our rulers who were over us by bringing great calamity on us. Here's interesting. The word calamity that's used here in the Hebrew language literally means a friend. Hmm. See, God sees the calamity of the Babylonian captivity and all that brought it back actually as a friend to the people of God. Because again, God's intent and purpose was that that would drive them back to God and bring them back to a better spiritual condition than they were that brought this all about. And then Daniel goes on to say, what has happened to Jerusalem has never been equaled under all heaven. So verse 13, just as it is written in the law of Moses, so all this calamity has come on us. Now here's where Daniel, this is why Daniel is so burdened. He says, still, we have not tried to pacify the Lord our God by turning back from our sin and by seeking wisdom from your reliable moral standards. Literally in that phrase in verse 13, Daniel was saying, we have not become weak yet. We have not been truly broken yet through this calamity. And Daniel said, that is so sad. It's one thing to reject God and start suffering the consequences for it. It's another thing to, in the midst of suffering the consequences, we're too stubborn, we're too prideful to humble ourselves and be broken enough to come back to God and surrender ourselves to God. And that's why Daniel is fervently praying that somehow the people of God would get it. And would come back to him. Notice Daniel said in all the 70 years. Verse 14. The Lord was mindful of the calamity. He was always awake and alert to everything that was going on. Because it was a tool of God's discipline in their life to bring them back to him ultimately. 
And many times when you and I either go through discipline or some kind of correction, we think God's falling asleep. He doesn't know a thing about what's going on. No, Daniel said just the opposite. God knew every detail of what was going on because he's the one that brought it about in the first place. Notice he says, the Lord was mindful of the calamity and he brought it on us. But Daniel says, he's not the one to blame. The Lord, our God, is just in all he has done, and we have not obeyed him. We're the ones to blame, because we walked away from God. God didn't walk away from us. So Daniel says in verse 15, Now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with great power and made a name for yourself that is remembered to this day, we have sinned and behaved wickedly. How many times has Daniel said that? O Lord, according to all your justice, please turn... Your raging anger away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. For due to our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors, Jerusalem and your people are mocked. Literally a disgrace to all our neighbors. When God's people are are, are not living with God, then we give the enemies of God ammunition. And folks, we don't need to give the enemies of God any more ammunition than they already have or make up. And yet when you and I are not living the way we should, both the nation of Israel in the Old Testament or the church in the New Testament, we bring disgrace. Verse 17, so now our God, accept the prayer and request of your servant and show favor I love that phrase. The word show favor literally means kindle. Kindle that fire again, Lord. Light it up. Because your sanctuary, he says in verse 17, is devastated, literally deserted. There's nobody worshiping back in the sanctuary in Jerusalem anymore. And then in verse 18, he says, listen attentively. Literally in the Hebrew, bow down, God. Bow down, my God, and hear. Open your eyes and look on our desolated ruins in the city called by your name. I mean, you you get the angst and the heartbreak and the heartache in Daniel as he's praying this and as he even writes it later on. For he says, it is not because of our own righteous deeds even that we are praying to you or literally falling before you but because your compassion is abundant. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Don't delay for your own sake. O my God, for your city and your people are called, identified by your name. What a powerful prayer. A prayer that was born out of of a sensitivity to the spiritual condition of God's people and to the nation. It was born out of a, of a person who was saturating his mind in the Word of God, like the prophet Jeremiah. It was a person who was surrendered to God. And out of this, he brought this humble prayer in humiliation and morning next week we're going to pick it up in verse 20 where god answers that prayer in fact he answers it before daniel even is done praying 
And one of the things that we learn, and, and I want to mention this this week, is that God gave Daniel further understanding in response to Daniel's prayer. Don't miss that principle. I shared, I think, on my Facebook page that in my walk with God, even when I have come to a passage or a verse that I'm struggling with, it's hard for me to understand. One of the things that I have learned is just to pray and ask God, help me to understand this. And it's through prayer, much, much times, that God gives me understanding into His Word. This is exactly what God was doing with Daniel. Daniel was trying to understand it all, and it was through his prayer that God gave Daniel understanding. So again, as you read the Bible, as you study the Bible, as you come to a place where you're stuck, don't forget to pray and ask God, because God many times, in fact, most times in my life, has given me illumination and light into His Word by my prayer life, through my prayer life. Again, it all is supposed to work together. In closing tonight, we're going to leave Daniel. And I want you to go back to a passage that Daniel would have been very familiar with. The book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 7. 2 Chronicles, chapter 7. Daniel would have known these verses very well, but I'm just going to use verse 14 tonight, and then we're going to wrap it up, and our group's going to come up and actually close our time tonight with the song we opened with tonight. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, God says, If my people who belong to me humble themselves, Pray, seek to please me, and repudiate their sinful practices. Then I will respond from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Daniel knew that verse. And I believe if, if we could summarize what Daniel chapter 9, the first 20 verses were all about, it was that Daniel was putting 2 Chronicles 7.14 into practice. Here's the challenge that I'd like to lay before you tonight. I'm going to accept the challenge. I'm hoping some others will as well. For the next seven days, until we meet again next week, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, next Tuesday. We'll start tomorrow. Would you be willing to pray specifically with me in regards to these things based on Daniel 9 and how we can apply this to our lives? Let's start with our homes. Would you pray with me that our homes would be a place where we strive to be sensitive to our spiritual condition, saturating our minds with God's Word and surrendered to God's will in our homes. That our homes, that's where it starts. Secondly, our church. Would you pray with me that the Oasis Church 
would be a place where we would be sensitive to our spiritual condition, saturating our minds in God's Word, and surrendered to the will of God as a church. And third, would you pray with me for our nation? Would you pray with me for our national leaders, for our state leaders, and for our local leaders? And that we as a nation would turn back to God? That we as a nation would truly begin to understand our spiritual condition? That we as a nation would begin to saturate our minds with God's Word? And that we as a nation would surrender to God before it's too late? I'm going to ask you tonight if you'd join me for the next seven days and pray. And pray about that. I'm going to ask Nicole and Lenore and Tyler to come back up and we're going to We're going to finish tonight with the very first song we sung at the beginning. Our God is greater. And as you sing this song, let's just just sing it again from, from our hearts to the Lord. And let's just make a commitment that God, we're going to be like Daniel. Help us to be like Daniel. Help us to be sensitive to our spiritual condition. Help us to be saturated in your word. Help us to surrender ourselves to you. In our homes in our church, and God in our nation. Let's stand, shall we?